Scott Horton, I had you on not too long ago, and I, I, I had some technical difficulties. Everything's scrapped. I th- thank you for coming back on. Happy uh, to do it. You came These on. Things happen. Believe me, I understand. I mean, hell, you've done 5,500 interviews. I'm sure uh, something goes awry every now and again. But you went on Kennedy recently, and uh, it sparked my interest. Criminal justice always sparks my interest, given my background um, in prison. And uh, you talked about the libertarian way of going about criminal justice reform. What's, wh- what's the difference between that and progressive uh, criminal justice reform? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I mean, it depends on how far you want to go. It's pretty easy to just say abolish the state and the free market will take care of it. End of interview, right? Um, yeah. But um, no, I mean, all other things being equal, we're keeping this constitution and these state constitutions and our, you know, everything else status quo for the sake of argument here. And just talking about, you know, what we can do to make the current system less worse other than completely overthrowing it for argument's sake here. Um and, and, and frankly, I mean, even dropping the incendiary language of overthrow, something like a complete overhaul where we just scrap, you know, X many decades of precedent and, and legislation and kind of get a good refresh about which of these laws do we still want to keep and these kinds of things. I think it'd be fair to do that without, you know, absolute tumult every once in a while, you know, make sure that. Is it still illegal to wear a red dress on Sunday? I mean, what do we do in a red? You know what I mean? There's a lot yeah. of things that, and I don't just mean the trivial ones either. I mean, there are a lot of things that we should be able to revisit all the time. Uh, judicial immunity and whatever. All these things that are off the table should be on the table for discussion. Yeah, um, you you were a bit, but, you talked a lot about judicial immunity on on that. Um, we talked we talked about it before, but that uh, interview you did with that uh, woman from Philadelphia talking about mm-hmm. um, how... Uh, um, people who pled guilty had their uh had confessions beaten out of them by dirty cops and then judges would just let it go right and that this went on for decades yeah and that at some point you don't get to say that you don't know what's going on here when it's your courtroom and you're presiding over that and then there is i believe and the other scott horton is the lawyer not me but i believe the term is absolute immunity right so unless you have like a judge on video taking a stack of hundred dollar bills to make sure the trial goes one way or the other, right? Unless you have the absolute most egregious, something like that. They essentially cannot be held accountable for their bad judgments other than having their bad judgments overturned by higher courts. Right. But there's no real sanction for them other than legislative sanctions. If they're to be impeached and removed by the legislative branch, that can happen. But essentially it's unheard of that a judge is prosecuted in a criminal way for allowing, in any real sense, a DA to falsely prosecute a guy, which we know happens all the time. But it's, as I was saying with that lady on the, on the interview there, that nobody ever even brings this up. It just absolutely goes without saying. It's just absolutely unquestioned that this is the way it has to always be. Um, you know, there's a, a court mandate that district attorneys must seek justice they're not supposed to just win they're supposed to really make sure they're right before they go and and try to win a case to prosecute somebody but where's the teeth in that how is that enforced if a prosecutor you know i think a lot of times prosecutors well let the jury decide 
I don't really know. We'll let the jury decide. But the jury is presuming that the prosecutor is at least sure in his own mind or her own mind, right? Or else how can you bring this case? And so there becomes a diffusion of responsibility where, you know, people maybe if they were had to take more responsibility for their positions that they're taking, and um, then there would be, you know, different outcomes. And one of the things, of course, is, you know, in prosecutor's discretion, it's almost entirely in prosecutor's discretion how long someone is sentenced. But that's not supposed to be the system. In American law, it's supposed to be the jury and or the judge that decides the sentence. But because the judges have ruled that the prosecutors can stack, you know, offense upon offense upon offense against somebody, especially as what they call the trial penalty to punish you extra if you refuse to plead guilty and right. instead insist on a jury trial then they'll hit you. In fact, there's a story today about a trucker who, I don't know the details. They say his brakes went out. Maybe it Oh, was I heard about fault. this, yeah. Maybe he hadn't maintained the brakes or something. I don't know. If it was purely a mechanical failure and not his fault, then I don't know. But they charged him with all these multiple felonies. 110 and, years. And the judge gave him 110 years, and the judge complained that the judge had no discretion in this case. And in fact, they quote another law, a prosecutor saying, hey, if you won't take the plea deal and you insist on dragging us through a trial, then I don't have any, uh, I don't feel sorry for you. If you get the maximum, tough deal, right? But you shouldn't have to face a penalty for forcing the government to prove it in a trial. That's supposed to be your right, pure and simple. If they're gonna accuse you of a crime, you have the right to, for them to have to prove it. But now instead, if you try to make them prove it, if you hold a trial and force them to go through with a trial, they will make sure, boy, you better be acquitted or you're going to go to the slammer and right. stay there, you know? And this kind of thing, it's just another example of things where like, hold on a minute now, scratch the needle off the record. Maybe the judge on the three judge panel back in 1972 thought he was being clever when he ruled that. But now that we can see how that's working out, let's not have it that way anymore. Should not be that way. You know, maybe our courts are too clogged with drug possession charges. And right. that's why the prosecutors got to work so hard to force everybody to plea because they don't have time to hold a trial for people who are accused of crimes, you know, actual crimes, not just offenses, right? Because um, yeah. they're too busy trying offenses. Well, maybe we need to abolish such a thing as offenses and only prosecute crimes. How about that? You know, um, yeah. and these kinds of things, it ought to be, easy for everyone to bring these things up and talk about these things why should there be any kind of immunity for any government employees why should taxpayers ever be held accountable for the actions of a cop a prosecutor or a judge or a jury who make the wrong decision and put somebody in prison or for a cop who shoots somebody with nothing in his hands or whatever the story is you know yeah i just uh i i was unsure on the numbers before but uh i just confirmed it is 90 to 95 percent of uh the um guilty plea guilty pleas are, are uh, their plea bargains so yeah yeah that's i mean that's an insane amount of people who have been coerced into you know going to prison you know so that other people don't have to do their jobs to you know it, it's just insane but uh speaking of, uh, i mean qualified oh, no, the bail reform yeah. yeah i'm sorry because you asked originally about the bail reform thing right there. right that that 
you know, I don't think any libertarian, I doubt you could find any progressives who would say that like, yeah, you know, our the top of our agenda is we want to lower or abolish bail requirements altogether for people who are accused of multiple violent felonies. I mean, what in the world? And right. so, yes, of course, you'll be able to find some idiot prosecutor who does make that his priority and make the whole kind of idea of reform look bad. But the idea should be to lower bail for people. Well, in fact, I read an article. I hate to credit Andrew McCarthy in the National Review because he's just <laughs> so bad. But he said, you know, the Eighth Amendment doesn't require bail in all cases. It just bans excessive bail. Right. So you might interpret that to mean that they presume that there would be bail in all cases, but you might not presume that. Um, it could be that what they're saying is they're leaving it open, whether bail would be required or not for certain classes of crimes. But if you are going to charge bail, it has to be reasonable. You can't just put someone in bail and then say, oh, your, your bail is $50 million. And so that way we know that we'll be able to hold you until, um, until your trial. It's essentially evading the law to do that. And so it should be, if you get bail, it should be reasonable that you could pay it. If you're on your fourth felony and just ran over your wife deliberately, or that's the charges, like this guy who crashed into the parade there in Minnesota, then no, your bail should not be a thousand bucks and bonded out, you know, somebody else's thousand bucks and out you go. Um, you know, I don't think that's anybody's, you know, bright idea of what should have happened there. But the thing is, is that's just, you know, essentially it's beside the point because it's pretty easy, isn't it? I think yeah. to just separate out yeah. violent crime, armed robberies and carjackings and assaults, you know, domestic assaults and all these things, um, uh, battery leading to injuries and, and these kinds of things. Um, and, and for that matter, serious fraud, uh, ripping off, you know, uh, innocent people, uh, ripping off old ladies for their savings through telemarketing scams and whatever, things that really have actual victims, those people should be punished. Those people should yeah. be prosecuted and held accountable somehow or another, right? Um, uh, but the problem is, of course, that the government is in everything and is prosecuting people for the slightest violations of crimes. And in a way that it also makes psychopaths out of the prosecutors. You know, people used to tell me when I was a kid, oh, you should be a lawyer. You like arguing so much, you little brat. You should be a lawyer. And my thing was, well, I don't really want to defend horrible bad guys. And I don't want to prosecute people that I don't think really deserve to be prosecuted. And right. if you're a lawyer, it's got to be one or the other. Or I don't want to just sue people all day either. Yeah. If I'm going to be a criminal attorney, I don't want to do either of those jobs. You know what I mean? But I think especially... The there's at least something noble in a way about well either way I guess prosecuting bad guys or defending you know bad guys too um, but um, the uh, there there becomes an attitude clearly among the ADAs that this is just like flipping burgers at some point they essentially prosecute anybody the cops bring to them and they don't really do that good of a job at it so two things here. I have, I've told this story before, but when I was a cab driver, I had an ADA from Houston in my cab. And she told me that, uh, that's Harris County. She told me that they had a saying around the office there, the district attorney's office in Houston, that 
well, if they really didn't do it, they'll get out on appeal. And so you have to go through that traumatic experience and go through the trouble of the system and get branded by the, by society and your community and your friends and your family and your neighbors. And only then can you be proven innocent. Right. And I mean, and that doesn't even work, right? Because if, once you're convicted of a crime, and just to be clear here, what that means is we will prosecute anyone the police bring to us as though we believe it. We don't care. We don't look into it. We just do it. And then if they really didn't do it, they'll get out on appeal. That's what that means. So, and then like you're saying, but worse, because if you want to get out, just saying, hey, look, I have a new witness who's willing to provide me an alibi. That's not enough. And that alibi might be a damn good alibi, right? right? But that is not enough. You have to prove that you didn't get a fair shot at your trial to provide your alibis. You have to prove that the judge violated the process of your trial. If they determine you still got a fair trial, new alibi or not, then you're staying in. The only other exception would be if there's like a new type of scientific method that's been discovered for identifying DNA even more carefully and closely than before or something like that. Getting a DNA sample out of a stain that before they couldn't, but now they can. Something like that. So now we want to retest this evidence, Your Honor. You can get out for something like that. But just saying you have evidence of actual innocence is not good enough to get you a new trial. It's not. And, you know, there was a great quote years ago, not too many years ago, I don't know, 10, from the uh, maybe 13, from the, uh, the Texas Supreme Court. It was a lady on the Texas Supreme Court. And I forget the exact quote. I really should have memorized the exact quote. But, you know, it's something very close to innocence is important. But more important than that is the finality of the court's decisions. And we can't just have people questioning the court's judgments all the time just because they have evidence of actual innocence. That what the court rules must stand or else it's not a court at all, is it? No. And so... That's the point of view of the government on it, is that their court is more important than its result. Now, one more thing about this is, I admit one time I testified for the prosecution. Now, I was not a criminal who got caught and turned on my buddy. I just walked into the quickie mart and was witness to an armed robbery. And the guy was beating the old man over the head with a club, split his head right open and all of this stuff. And I did not point my finger at the defendant because honestly, I was looking at the weapon in his hand more than I got a good look in his face. And I, I didn't want to say, yes, I'm sure that that's the guy because I wasn't really sure that was the guy. And I told him that. So I, I definitely didn't go out on a limb and say anything that I couldn't stand by. That is for sure. But here's my point. Two or three days, two days, I think. Maybe even the night before. Could have been the night before I prosecuted. Maybe it was two days before I uh, was, was on the witness stand there. I met with the assistant district attorney lady at the Starbucks in South Austin. And she seemed nice enough, but she's like 24 and not that bright. Well, she's and, a, you know, PA, so. Yeah, she might have been a 28 or 29, maybe. I don't know. I don't really remember. But she was relatively young. And when I got up there on the stand and she started asking me the questions, she couldn't ask me the questions worth a damn. 
Now, I just met with her two nights before at the coffee shop and told her my exact story. And you know how I am. I'll tell you my story. Yeah. This is how it went. Okay. Are you picturing it with me, man? It was exactly like this. <laughs> right. Yeah. I show up. She can't like prod me to just tell the story. So I essentially just have to start talking bureaucrats and just kind of push her aside. And I just tell my story. And eventually the defense wow. attorney is going, your honor, would you shut him up? I mean, he's just going on. She's not even asking him any questions anymore. <laughs> he's just, she didn't ask him to just tell his story, but he's just telling his story. And it's like, yeah, but the isn't this how is incompetent. Shouldn't like, it be this easy? Yeah. Like as far as she knows, this is not the right guy. As far as she knows, I don't know what I'm talking about. As far as she knows, nothing. As far no. as she knows, nothing. <laughs> and Bureaucrat, she's the man. one in charge of using me to prosecute him. You know? And whoever, and it may have been the guy, yeah. whoever it was that assaulted that old man deserved to pay for that. Yeah. Because he messed him up bad. In a, in a robbery, right? Where there is, yeah. You don't have any argument. There's not one mitigating thing that you can say in your defense for that. You oh. know? Unless you, this is for your daughter's cancer money or something. I don't want yeah. to hear it, you know? But so. going back to uh, qualified immunity and I guess absolute immunity, which is something that you introduced to me, but uh, qualified immunity is, is now, do you think we have a shot at bringing this to light, getting this uh, uh, qualified immunity taken away? I mean, after things like that shooting of that homeless guy in his wheelchair or the reasonable murder of Tamir Rice, you know, is there, do we have a chance? Is this a pipe dream? You know what? Um, was it New Mexico, I think? No, it wasn't New Mexico. Was it Arizona or something? I'm sorry, man. Forgive me. But there was a state recently in the Southwest that did abolish it, or awesome. at least partially. Um, so, yeah, that's got to get around. Now, to be clear, the... Um, the qualified immunity is protection from civil suits. Okay. In some states, I think they use the same phrase for protection from criminal liability as well and try to create a different standard of criminal liability. But that's essentially prevents you from suing an individual cop for what he did to you. But you can sue the police department or the mayor's office, but not the mayor himself, this kind of thing. Um, and the funny thing is about it is that it's made up by the judges. Mm -hmm. So there was a law passed after the Civil War that said that it's a crime to violate somebody's rights under the color of law. And then the judges in beginning in like 81 or 74, I think, said, well, come on, Congress couldn't have meant that. That a government employee could be held criminally responsible um, or, or, or civilly liable for things that they do on the job because how are they supposed to do their job yeah if they you know well they're supposed to know the law and do their job right that's supposed to be the answer to that simple and over and done with right um but the judges you know essentially just made it up that no we don't have to do that anymore and um you know there's no accountability and so the loophole it's great the way they did this it's a perfect catch-22 they go well if a court has ever ruled in that same jurisdiction that the conduct of the officer in a prior case is clearly illegal, and then a, another cop does that exact same thing again, then you could sue them. But because they won't let any cases through because of the prior 
uh, example loophole, no new examples can ever be created, right? And you can only go off the old examples. So, well, yes, Your Honor, the police did steal this money, but they stole it from the guy's car parked out in the driveway. And in the case of the deputy that got in trouble for this before, he stole it from the guy's bedroom. So this case is not like that one. So this cop cannot be held accountable for stealing money from a citizen who he was supposed to help because we don't have a case that's exactly like that. And this, I mean, it's just, the com thing is completely absurd. If I sat here and told you, listen, Iran really is a police state. They've got this thing called qualified immunity, right? Where these cops, even if they steal your money, they go, well, I stole from his car, not his bedroom. And so it doesn't count. And the judges go along with that. That's how it works in the old world where everything is corrupt, where they don't have a bill of rights, where they don't care about liberty and sing songs about it and have red, white, and blue in their flag like we do. But no, that's how we do business here. The government can do anything they want. And, you know, one of the greatest examples of this is the um, the uh, civil asset forfeiture, where oh. um, that you can look up the bar graphs. I just saw the bar graph the other day, where I think uh, Spike Cohen was retweeting this out, where it's official in I guess the FBI's own numbers that the federal and uh, state police and city police and you know, county sheriffs, I guess, they steal more money from the American people than robbers do and burglars, <laughs> like robbers and burglars combined steal less than the cops do through yeah. civil asset forfeiture. And this is where you don't even have to be arrested. They don't even have to arrest you, charge you with so much as jaywalking. They civilly sue your property for they accuse committing a crime. And then the burden is on them only 51% to prove it. And that's if you can fight it, but they get to keep your property and maybe even sell it before you even get a chance to fight it. And then you, you have to pay the entire expense of trying to fight it in court to get your stuff back. And as has been seen over and over and over again, most infamously years ago in the case of a guy named Donald Scott out in California, the cops will just target a guy because he's got a nice piece of property and they want that property. And so they just, drum up a case against him and take it in fact there was a thread yesterday about a rapper in la i can't remember his name because i'm not familiar with the guy or anything but there was a rapper in la who bought a clothing store on crenshaw boulevard yeah and this guy's thread about was about how the cops just absolutely hounded him um and hounded his customers and accused him of crimes it was because they wanted that land that mm -hmm. parking lot that that store, you know, was on. They wanted to build some new high-rise thing there. It was part of Trump's, um, you know, uh, uh, what do they call them? Uh, opportunity zones or whatever, yeah. where the government will give you money for development and all of this. Of course, it's just a fascist, corrupt-type scheme. So they're going to come in. But they got these poor black people who are, you know, they used to be. In fact, they had a quote from the guy. Yeah, it used to be all of us just hanging out in that parking lot, hustling, trying to get by. And eventually I did good enough in music that I figured, you know what? I had to own this parking lot. I had to buy this building, man, and run this clothing store myself and, and, you know, hold something down, build something up for my community. Yeah. The dream, the American dream. Right. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, whatever. N word out of the way, boy, yeah. you know, and then they just sick the cops after him and then come up with, and I guess eventually before they seized his property, but that was the motive clearly was all these jurisdictions were after him because they wanted the property was what the guy was saying. But then eventually the guy was murdered anyway by, you know, in a local dispute. So 
I mean, who knows? The guy, he might have been assassinated over it, but it seemed like it was a separate incident. The guy's about to go on trial for it here soon. Uh, the guy who finally killed him. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, that's how they do it. You know, they're, they're just gangsters. They really are. And, um, and it's the accountability, man, is, is really the question, right? Yeah. Um, and it, for police murders, when, you know, at the height of Mike Brown and all of these things, you know, back in the middle of the last decade, um, you know, the question was, see, it's so unfortunate. I don't want to go off too, too far on this, but it's so unfortunate that the movement got named Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Because the problem is, is that changes the subject from what we're really talking about here, which is accountability for killer cops. Right. And the thing is, it's easy for me to, to empathize with other people's position. And I can understand how, especially if you're black, and it sure seems like a black and white issue to you, uh, you know, um, that's fair enough. But the problem is, the slogan really is Black Lives Matter too. Yeah. Why should it be that their rights aren't protected? They get hunted for sport. It ain't right. It ain't fair. Black Lives Matter too. But then if you name your movement Black Lives Matter too, now it sounds like you're kind of pathetic and weak and you're in a position of supplication and you're like begging and you're going Black Lives Matter too, right? Like you're whining yeah. instead of going Black Lives Matter, period, right? Mm -hmm. But now you get all these dum-dums go, well, everybody else's matter, lives matter too. So you actually, literally, you have people arguing, Black Lives Matter. No, all lives matter. Yeah. But that was the Black Lives Matter guy's point in the first place, was that they ought to be included in all. That's all, god dang it. And so you got all these stupid people headbutting each other and fighting about race and racial prejudice when that's not the problem, right? The yeah. problem is Killer we cops. got too many cops enforcing too many laws against too many people with militarized equipment they got from the Department of Homeland Security or the Pentagon's 1033 program, and they're out enforcing laws against contraband possession and laws right. against participation in black markets and enforcing offenses and fines and fees over meaningless things and destroying people's lives. And then when they pull the trigger, when they're not supposed to, they get away with it. And there's no accountability. Yeah. And you so have mentioned a, a racial aspect on this topic before. Uh, in the past, I've seen them on the post in previous conversations uh, involving the war on drugs, haven't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, the statistics are there that, you know, blacks and whites smoke pot, for example, at approximately the same rates, use cocaine at approximately the same rates. Yeah. And then even adjusting for income, blacks are, and I guess Mexicans too, are, are arrested and prosecuted at higher rates and depending where you are. But the reason for that is mostly economic, right? It's not because I don't want to discount actual racial prejudice in the minds of some cops because of course there is racial prejudice in the minds of some cops yeah i've seen it but that's not the driving force though right the right. driving force is that by and large blacks are poorer and therefore have less political juice mm -hmm. and that's the question right that's where the so-called white privilege comes from is a cop pulls over a guy that looks like you or me he's more likely to not search and let us go on our way because in the back of his mind, it's possible that your uncle's a state senator and right. mine is a judge, right? It's not mm -hmm. likely, but it's possible, right? But if we're poor and black and driving a regal, there's no chance that we've yeah. got connections like that. 
Right. There's nothing that's going to happen to them if they pick on us. Like, right? yeah, I guess and, that goes back to the original point of prog progressive criminal justice reform versus libertarian justice criminal justice reform is that the progressives are say give minorities political juice, whereas we say take away the political power in general, right. take away the political juice. Yeah, or yeah, and, and take away the yeah the police excuse to hold these laws over people's heads. Yeah, um, and then look, you know what we got to talk about too. And I'm sorry because I'm kind of scattershot here. I I really don't write about this very much. I think about it a lot. I tweet about it stuff. I don't really have like a lot of systematic type stuff written down. But I want to point out that you know we have a a big increase in crime, and it's mostly poor minorities and poor minority neighborhoods that have seen huge increases in murder rates over the last, I don't know how huge, but significant um, over the last couple of years. And I think that, uh, you know, at the same time, as everybody knows, we've had huge increases in firearm sales across the country. And the reason for that is what? People don't want to say this out loud. I'm not exactly sure why. Maybe it's kind of like rude or not woke or whatever to say. What everybody at the gun shop clearly understands, that when the government locked down the economy and kept it locked down, that that means the people at the, on the lowest rungs of the economic ladder will be pushed off of it completely. Yeah. And then, again, the people oh, yeah. on the very lowest part of it will turn to crime. Because yeah. if you need money to feed your people, you're going to do what it takes. If you got... Uh, you know, on the lowest rungs, people with the lowest education, the lowest skills, the lowest capabilities, they probably already have a criminal record just from being poor. And then once you have a felony, doesn't matter how trivial it is, doesn't matter if your felony is one time you had cocaine in your pocket when you were 16, and, you know, another time you had a gun in your pocket when you were 27, yep. the, you might as well have killed somebody. And so now it's almost impossible to get a job. So you have entire segments of the population who actually are, you know, intelligent, if not educated, and could be trained and, and skilled and do good work, especially once they grow up and are not quite so adolescent and are now like 26 and have a kid and need to get their act together. But, oh, sorry, you got a felony on your record, not hiring felons here, you know, good luck elsewhere, and, and that kind of thing. So once you have people banned from participating in the overt economy, and then you have something on the order of a forced economic recession like we had in 2020, which is just unheard of since, you know, Paul Volcker raised interest rates to 26% in 1982 or whatever it was. Um, and you are going to have a significant increase in crime. That's what everybody's doing at the gun store. They know that's what's going to happen. And it's not all just because poor people are bad people and so they commit crimes. Yeah. It's because anybody will commit crimes if they feel like they have to. Yeah. And and it also is true that in poorer cultures, never mind race, but in poorer cultures where nobody around here has any work and everybody's turning to crime, well, now it's kind of acting like a wimp to go and live a straight life. Now we're right. all a bunch of tough guys and gangsters and hard-ass lawbreakers and, and felons and anybody who you know, opts out, then, right, you get a culture, you build a culture of that. Yeah. And it's, you know, because of government intervention in the markets, government, you know, intervention where they just have no business whatsoever uh, shutting down commerce the way that they did and, and pretending that there are no trade-offs for things like that. And so then you look at places, like especially the worst places, 
um, like New York City and others where the crime rate has gone way up. Oh, yeah. It might be a generation before it goes back down again. Like, what's it going to take for people who are like, well, I actually was doing okay, but then the economy went completely to hell and yeah, everyone I could have worked for is now out of business and gone. You know, how long is it going to take a person like that to find a good place to fit where they can make enough money to be worth it to keep showing up? And yeah. especially as the cost of living keeps rising and rising and rising and wages are, of course, you know, for especially for hourly workers and so forth, uh, the lowest skilled workers are the last thing to catch up with the inflation rate. They always take the blame when wages go up, but they're the last ones to get a cost of living increase. And then it's always, you know, I saw a statistic today. It was like, you know, yay, I got a 3% raise, but inflation is 8.7%. 8. 8. You know? 8.7, yeah. Yeah, 6 point something, 8 something, yeah. So, um, you know, these kinds of things really matter. They really count. And then, um, and then, but then look how easy it is to then wave a, a thin blue line flag and say like, you know, where would we be without our government? It was these same cops who enforced those lockdowns and closed those businesses yep. and, and caused that economic crash. There's those same cops who killed the unarmed guy who caused the riot that got everybody convinced that they need them so bad in the first place. Yep. You know, um, what would you ever do without them? Well, might not be a riot at all without them. <laughs> you know, might not be any looting at all without them. Yeah. Uh, things might be just fine. So, um, there's a lot of question begging in, in police activity. You see a lot. Oh, sure. You hire a bunch of progressive prosecutors and they start defunding the police. And then you see the crime rates go through the roof. And it's like, yeah, well, but that's a bunch of crap, right? Like they didn't defund anything anywhere. And the crime rates, crime, crime rates went through the roof, not because the police were called off mm. of their job, but again, because the government crashed the economy, used yep. the cops to do it. And, and in fact, Joe Biden, in their homes. Joe Biden today said that he wants to throw more money at the NYPD specifically. I saw that in the New York Post today. Sure. I mean, what else are you going to do? The guy who right? ran on like criminal justice. Escalating reform. Afghanistan, right? Yeah, look, yeah. we lost. So we're going to double our forces there and see if we try this one more time. Yep. Who would have thought that the, uh, the, the tough on crime bill guy would be, you know, doubling right. the police force, throwing money at it? Me, all of yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, there was a story, I can't remember who wrote this, this is long ago now, but there was a thing about how um, the, the LAPD had brought in the NYPD, no, pardon me, the LAPD had brought in the Marine Corps back from Vietnam to train them on counterinsurgency for how to deal with the blacks in South LA wow. in the drug war, yeah. especially, you know, in the 1980s. That the CIA then, caused. That this, that's right. The CIA, so the F, the Justice Department, the DEA, and the FBI, and the DOJ, they're outlawing it and raising up the penalties. At the same time, CIA is, you know, increasing supply by 10 times or more. Yep. Um, and then the NYPD is there to fight against all the gangsters who are fighting over the turf to distribute all that cocaine. Yeah. I mean, what a perfect storm and a menace it was. Um, and just incredible what they did but so then what the lapd do they called in the marine corps to teach them counterinsurgency but then in the 19 uh, pardon me in the 2000 uh 2000s early 2000s w bush years mm -hmm. the marine corps called the lapd and said hey would you guys come and reteach us that counterinsurgency stuff that we taught you back then because we forgot it 
And so the LAPD have been, have been uh, you know, uh, inflicting the Marine Corps' counterinsurgency theory on the blacks of South LA for, you know, a solid 20 years. And the Marines were like, hey, can you remind us about how we do that? And then what's the answer? <laughs> See, what you do is you do massive sweeps of fighting aged males. And you crack their skulls and throw them in dungeons. And then you make their moms and, your, and their sisters fall in love with you and be so grateful for you that you're their security force, that you come in and that, oh, you're the guy that broke my son's head open and you're here to provide security for me and my little girl. Thank you so much. You're, you guys are great. And, and so then that was the policy as they tried to implement it in Iraq and in Afghanistan too, is, you know, we'll, what we'll do is we'll pretend that the local men are the foreign invaders, not us, and that we're here to protect the people from the foreign invaders. Yeah. And we're the foreign invaders and the people we're fighting are the local people. And that's how they did business in LA too. Wow. I remember, man, there was a, a war on drugs documentary. It might've been the one by Kevin Booth who was Bill Hicks's good friend. Yeah. Um, and he has a clip, which I don't know if it was his clip or maybe it's from some, you know, primetime live type TV show or something. But it was a clip from like the late 80s or maybe the early 90s of all these black guys in a prison in California. And they're all like, there's 10 of them and they're trying to get the cameraman's attention, trying to talk to the reporter through the bars. And one of them says, I'm doing 35 years for one handful of crack rocks in my pocket. 35 wow. years. Does that sound right to you? Wow. And it's like, well, if he's a human man, then no, that does not sound right to me. I mean, I guess if he was a figment of my imagination, it wouldn't matter. But since he's an actual living, breathing human person, then yeah, yeah no, that doesn't seem fair. No. Considering that at the same moment he was saying that, in North Hollywood, they were shoving cocaine up their noses by the handful simultaneously yeah. under full police protection, you know, which is fine, but it should extend to south of the 10 as well. It's just not fair. Yeah. It's just not fair. It's crazy that you I, would do that. Yeah. It's not fair to, to a person or a people to be treated that way. Yeah. Fuck. You know? I mean, I mean, fuck, forget about fucking crack rocks. I had a guy in my facility who is doing five years for 35 grams of weed. I mean, this shit is ridiculous. God. Yeah. Think of that. But speaking of prison, um, what, you know, I'm, I'm a, a prison uh, abolitionist. I, I think we should get rid of them entirely. They're monuments to the state. But, what, you know, obviously that's a pipe dream. I, I want it, you know. Uh, I think that's the libertarian answer. But what is the libertarian solution in the current state of tackling the prison industrial complex? Well, I mean, I think a major thing would be to abolish all private prisons, even though that's a small part of the problem. It's a real symptom of where our culture is right now. Mm -hmm. And we don't see the conflict of interest there. We don't see the problem there. But it's as blatant as it could be. The companies that own the prisons lobby for more criminal laws and stiffer and harsher penalties. I mean, that is just absolutely insane. Yeah. That that's the dynamic that, you know, who supports, uh, you know, is it, is it mothers against cocaine abuse mm -hmm. that's out there trying to stiffen penalties for possession? No, it's the people who sell the concrete and the iron bars and operate 
the actual facilities, them and the beer companies, you know, who don't want the competition. I mean, this kind of conflict of interest in the way that criminal justice is done in this country is just completely bananas. It should be completely closed. And look, even if you abolish Whack and Hut and it's, they changed their name, but whatever, you abolish all of those private prison companies, you still have the concrete firms and the iron yeah. bar firms. And we got to keep a close eye on them and a lid on them and prevent them from being any kind of effective lobbyists for criminal laws that benefit them in their, you know, sales of building prison facilities for state governments and things like that. It's completely crazy that our society would operate in a way where that's even considered tolerable for a minute, much less for a generation or two now, that that's the way it goes. That there could possibly be something called the school to prison pipeline. <laughs> means that our system, that, that anyone could coin that and not be laughed out of the room because the idea is absurd. Yeah. But, but the opposite of that, that the word is widely adopted because everybody knows that it's exactly a real thing and it happens. And that you have these people whose job essentially it is, is to figure out how to get more kids from this school into that prison. Yeah. And just looking, just waiting for somebody to walk by with their shoes untied and call it an excuse to cause a problem and get a kickback. And this kind of thing. And that kind of, it's just, that kind of deal is absolutely crazy. So, and I know from friends that I've had in prison that um, I can think of a couple of guys who have told me that there are guys in prison who belong in prison, mm. who are extremely dangerous, crazy, psychopathic, oh, yeah. killer, murderer, remorseless type people. I've who met are some. Extremely dangerous. But that that's a very small percentage of them. Yeah, maybe some belong. of them did. Yeah. They Maybe belong in prison. They do a heinous crime that they yeah. deserve to do the time for. They killed their wife. Yeah. It's the only crime they ever committed, but they, you know what I mean? Like, you got to go to prison for that. But, but I mean, or the ground. I mean, that's my, that's what sure. I think. But, but, but then you have, so you have like the, the career criminals who are really bad guys, especially mm -hmm. the violent ones. You have people who screwed up and did something really horrible one time. And well, then that you guy have, who had I don't the know accident. What the percentage is. And, and as you're saying, some of those deserve to rot for the one thing they did one time, career criminal or not, because of the lines they cross. But then, and I don't know what the percentage is, but then there's some percentage of the people who just don't belong in there at all. Mm -hmm. As a friend of mine put it, it's, they're just excess humanity being warehoused out of the way. Yeah. You know, until the day that they're finally let free. But nobody even knows. Ask them why they're in there. They don't even know why they're in there. You're in there because they violated probation by jaywalking mm -hmm. after getting caught with a bag of weed in their pocket, after getting caught with some bubble gum in their other pocket or whatever it was. Yeah. And just, you know, and it, it's really crazy. And, and I also know too, like, um, not just people who've been in prison and back talking about that, but people, you know, caught up in the drug war prosecutions. You know, I had a friend who got busted with a couple of pounds of weed. So he could have done like a year and done or two years and done. And instead, he took the plea deal. And then he ended up eventually doing like four years or five years plus years and years of probation and classes and fees and pissing in a cup and kissing up to this ridiculous bureaucrat lady and all of this stuff for years, taking the bus across town, losing jobs because I got to go meet my PO in the middle of a Tuesday yeah. when I'm supposed to be working. I have to go and I got to wait around for an hour and a half for my appointment to even, right? Like just this kind of thing, it just completely disrupts their lives. It's just completely, you know, for a little bit of pot. And, you know, this buddy of mine, I mean, he famously told me 
Now, like he would have rather had just done the three years mm-hmm. and have than have it all this drag out, you know. I don't know if he ended up doing five total or maybe he ended up doing maybe he ended up doing the same amount of time in prison, but plus all the dragging it out with the probation and fees and then later parole and all of these things. It's just completely bananas. And and to think that the people of Texas would organize their security forces this way, that this is what they do is hound my, you know, essentially beach bum friend for selling a little bit of weed when it costs the, the state everything, they get nothing for it whatsoever. The people are protected in no way whatsoever for it. The, you know, it's just completely crazy. It's yeah. Completely, again, it's insane. Back what we were talking about, it should be okay for everyone, not just libertarians, but right wingers and left wingers and old people who like it this way or whatever it is for all of us to stop and go, well, just wait a minute. Can't we put everything back on the table and discuss this? Maybe judges and prosecutors shouldn't have absolute immunity for when innocent people go to prison in their courts. You know, maybe cops shouldn't have qualified immunity when they steal from people or when they kill a guy just for supposedly reaching toward his waistband uh, rather than actually reaching for an object, a deadly object and pointing it at them, something like that. That where we have the civil forfeiture where people get their property taken away without any real due process of law or any of these things we ought to be able to discuss all of this and and ask ourselves should we the uh, war on pot the war on cocaine and heroin yeah. especially too and this is one you know people when they abuse cocaine I, i've seen the worst of it of people strung out on cocaine and eh, it's pretty bad you know i don't know it's, it's it's enough to disrupt your life if not completely ruin it right yeah, I guess the real the real dangerous ones are methamphetamine and heroin. People completely throw their lives away with that stuff. But guess what? Outlawing it hadn't done a damn thing to stop that from happening at all. In fact, the war on cocaine is responsible for the meth epidemic, which is just poor man's cocaine mostly. Yeah. I mean, some people have a different taste for it or whatever, but for the most part, it's a substitute for cocaine. Um, and... And with heroin, I mean, heroin addiction's always been with us, always going to be with us, but I don't think anybody listening to this show right now would disagree, as everybody knows for absolute fact, that the greatest opioid crisis in our culture now is prescription drugs, and that they got everybody hooked on this Oxycontin, passing it out for no reason whatsoever, when all people needed was the old stuff and just a little bit of it. They give them a mega dose of this Oxycontin and, and all of this and got everybody hooked on it. Then they take it all away. And they go, oh, sorry, you have chronic pain from your horrible motorcycle accident. Sorry, no pills for you. You have to go to the black market in order to get any pain relief now. So then you have people shooting up heroin spiked with fentanyl and dropping dead on the street. And tens of thousands of people dying of heroin overdoses. And why? Because it's spiked. And why? Because they're buying it on the black market. So how can you tell me that like, some guy's daughter strung out on heroin is worse than some guy's daughter dead because she was strung out on heroin and OD'd because somebody spiked her heroin with fentanyl. Yeah, You know what? She had a problem already. Maybe if she was still alive, we could help her get some uh, addiction help. Yeah, And everybody knows how you help an addict. You hook them up with a recovered with addict. addict. You can help them. That's Everybody knows that already. That's how you do it. Have you hit rock bottom? Are you sick and tired of this yet? Your mom can't stand the sight of you. Are you done yet? 
Yeah. Okay. Call this number. We'll hook you up with a guy who's also been through exactly what you're going through and you'll be fine in four months. Okay. Yeah. Here's a pack of cigarettes, right? That's how we do it. That's how, that's how we do it. Everybody knows that. That's how you help an addict. Why are we still doing this? Why is there a single person convicted of drug possession or dealing or use charges in the society anywhere? Make me the dictator. I pardon everyone, all of them. Blanket pardon. You're in prison on drug charges. You're out. And may the free market, and let's repeal every law and regulation ever passed in this field, and may the free market come up with all of the best drug treatment solutions for people with real problems. You know what? Maybe I'll give you some Kratom. And you'll do that instead of heroin. Yeah. And it'll be good enough. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, but it's not going to be a bureaucrat that decides that best. Yeah. All this stuff should be on the table. All this. And for right-wingers, too. You know, right-wingers are supposedly dedicated to the Constitution. You want to conserve the Constitution, don't you? Doesn't that include the Bill of Rights? Doesn't that include liberty for everybody? And how many, how much erosion of the the first and second, absolutely the second, and fourth and fifth and sixth amendments do you want to tolerate in the name of war against what? Undesirable people who abuse substances that you don't, it ain't worth it. I mean, you know what? I saw Jonathan Turley. He's known as like a conservative leaning uh, lawyer. Yeah. He gave a speech at the Future Freedom Foundation conference Restoring the Republic in 2008. I guarantee you could find it on YouTube there on uh, the Future Freedom Foundation's channel. And Jonathan Turley gave this great speech about how, um, oh, if this helps, this is a guy that Ron Paul mentioned that if Ron Paul was the president, he would probably make Turley the attorney general. Okay. Um, great uh, Russiagate debunker and stuff. And he got up there and he gave a speech and he talked about how Supreme Court decision after Supreme Court decision after Supreme Court decision and how they essentially obliterated their requirement for any judicial review on the side of the road. And they said, well, you know, your car is your property. We can't search it without a warrant. You know, that was where we started. And they said, well, geez, but we're looking for contraband. Drug wars are important. And the judge lives way out in the countryside. And the sheriff would have to drive all the way to a payphone and call him and wake him up in the middle of the night. And so that maybe, maybe we'll say that, you know what, but you're driving your car on public property. And so now we're, we can, if we smell something or the dog alerts, or we can come up with something that we'll call probable cause, we won't need the warrant. Yep. We'll get the warrant later. The, yep. the cop will write himself a warrant because we're the on the side of the them. road and it's too hard to reach the judge. Well, guess what? Later on, they invented cell phones, right? Where now every deputy sheriff can call the judge, no problem, right there on the side of the road. Did they go back and repeal the Supreme Court decision that said all this? No, of course not. Now we're four or five decisions later. Now they can get away with searching you here, there, and all these other places because they just took a butcher's knife and carved out these exceptions to the Fourth Amendment, to the U.S. Yeah. Constitution. And now you could be a right-winger who never smoked pot in your whole life and drive down the road, and they can inflict this kind of abuse on you, too. You know? So it should be, again, for the most crotchety old Republican grandpa listening to this, ought to be saying, yes, it ought to be on the table. You know, Thomas Jefferson said there should be a revolution every 20 years. 
All I'm saying is, let's lay out the criminal law and the criminal process and see just how much we're allowing the government to get away with here the way it shouldn't be, not in the USA, right? That's all I'm saying. This should be on the table for discussion for everybody, you know? And, so, and, and the founders, I, I, I think, look, if you took any of the founders now and showed them the criminal justice system in America, they would, they'd laugh. Just they would be Iran. astonished, I'm sure. Yeah, man, for real. But you brought up two really good points. Um, one of them's a little dated. I'll start with the other one first. Um, should we, oh, you mentioned conservatives are kind of coming around on the criminal justice system. Um, the leftists have been there uh, a little for a while, but they kind of, their heads are in the clouds a little bit when it comes to this. Should we encourage coalitions? I met you at the end of damn wars rally. There was socialists there. There was libertarians there. There were anarchists there. Should we encourage coalitions with people? Yes. Across and look, the aisle? I think, that's a great way to phrase the question, too, because, you know, this is the Ron Paul thing. Was Ron Paul was not about bipartisan compromise. He was about, here's the thing. How many people can we get to agree on this? And then you don't have to agree with me on any other thing. We're just agreeing on this today. It's a coalition, right? I'm not saying, what can I change in it to get you on board? I'm just saying, can I get you on board for this? And then, yes, it should be. I mean, I, there's a time and a place for sectarianism, I guess. But for me, it's hardly ever. I mean, the, what I really want to see is libertarians working together as best as we can to promote our agenda, which we almost entirely agree on. The things that we're against and the most is there's not much to debate there in terms yeah. of what our libertarian agenda really is, um, you know, across this country, what it is that we want to see you know, uh, put a stop to essentially more than anything. Um, and then I'm also against sectarianism with the left and the right. If we got to fight against left-wingers and right-wingers on the things that they're bad on, that's fine. And we should. But I don't think that we need to really emphasize that. You see, all right-wingers are horrible and terrible because of X, Y, and Z. And all leftists are horrible and terrible on X, Y, and Z. I mean, frankly, I really like the way the leftists and the socialists and the communists hate the liberals. I hate the liberals too. And for a lot of the same reasons. Now I gotta say, I also agree with the liberals that the communists are really all wet on a lot of stuff. And yeah. the, the leftists, they, you know, on some economic questions and some things, they got some things really wrong. But I don't have to be a jerk and hate them all. I can appreciate the good parts of what they have to offer. And, you know, there are a lot of leftists, for example, who have not bought into the recent liberal love for the FBI and the CIA and the national security state. Wow. Look at all the leftists who were good on Russiagate. Yeah. Because they were like, look, they hated Donald Trump, but they're like, you're not going to convince me that the FBI and the CIA are the heroes, and especially not on some stupid theory that Donald Trump works for the Kremlin, all this obviously transparently bogus nonsense. So you had like really good leftists, lots of leftists. I mean, most famously Matt Taibbi and uh, Glenn Greenwald, but probably a hundred others, you know, uh, Ray McGovern and Gareth Porter and Joe Loria and Robert Perry, all those guys from consortiumnews.com. And of course, Aaron Mate and uh, Max Blumenthal and the guys at the Gray Zone Project. And then all over Twitter, there's a hundred, you know, leftists on Twitter yeah. who were absolutely perfect on Russiagate the entire time. Because of, you know, like uh, Malcolm X said, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. 
Well, if you stand for something, you'll see right through a lot of things. Right. You know what I mean? So you don't have to necessarily be right entirely and agree with us in your entire worldview. But if you got some real principle, then you'll know that things around here aren't right. And, you know, another thing like about conservatives, we're more and more like, geez, who was it that framed Donald Trump for treason? It was the FBI and the Department of Justice and the CIA went to war against their own president, the elected president of the United States of America. Yep. Well, if you if you see them do him that way, how do you think they do some poor black guy from Baltimore on a gun charge? Oh, your honor, this guy's been uh, caught with pot twice and now he's got a gun in his pocket. Away he goes to federal prison with no parole for a decade or two or three, away from his mama, away from his boy, for having a gun prosecuted by the same Justice Department that framed Donald Trump. Yeah. You know, they're, yeah. they're scum. They're bad people. They're the people who burnt the Branch Davidians and machine gunned the Branch Davidians to death and then called it a suicide. Yep. How do you like that? Oh, same yeah, yep. those guys? No, yeah, they set their own children on fire. You'll swallow that, idiot, they said. Direct quote. Same guys um, who uh, got caught with child pornography, fucking kids. Right. I mean, and then the other agency, the FBI, knew about it, stood by yeah. and watched. Yeah, hey, and look at, yeah, that's right. And FBI, their they're, DOJ's prosecuting Ghislaine Maxwell right now. Well, <laughs> don't, isn't it pregnant? Isn't it like built in at the end of every statement out of the mouth of the prosecutors in that trial that which we helped you get away with for 40 years? Yeah which we ignored for 40 years. You did this and this and this, and we knew about it all along, and well, we're only putting you on trial now that your boyfriend's dead in the year 2021, almost 22. Yeah. That's odd. Owned you by know? intelligence. Th isn't yeah. that the phrase? They yeah. were owned by intelligence? Who, yeah. who that intelligence, to intelligence. is? Yes, belong they belong to intelligence. To intelligence. That's yeah. Who, who that intelligence is, I'm I'm not sure because, you know. Definitely we know Mossad and maybe CIA. Maybe. Probably both. Yeah. Probably. We'll, 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 I, we'll never find out, I don't think. If we find mm -hmm. out, I'll, I'll lose my mind. I'll, you know. But, but uh, that is who they are. They are the worst of us. Yeah. It ain't Joe Friday from, you know, 1960s TV. These <laughs> are the bad guys. They're our overlords. Yep. But uh, the dated question um. I, I, the conversations passed. We brought, I brought it up, you know, but again, the technical difficulties now it's all gone. But, uh, back when we, when I originally brought you on, there was a discussion. It was, uh, unleashing the police on the homeless. And we talked about the undesirables of, of society and doing drugs. And that was the reason behind this big libertarian conversation of nineties Rothbard unleashing the police. I talked mm -hmm. to, uh, Magnus Panvidia, uh, the last time, I uh, put out an episode and he was talking about his time being homeless and being desperate and getting by. Now, what are your thoughts on uh, unleashing the police on the well, homeless? No, with, I mean, with, without qualified immunity, that's also, I'm, I, I want to be fair. He also said without, without being immune to the law, you know? Yeah. No, um, I disagree with that. I think the only time anybody should ever call the cops on somebody is when they have absolutely no other choice because someone's life is in immediate danger. You don't have the capability to intervene yourself or, or yeah. you know, stop something from happening. But, you know, it's sort of like the rule about you don't point a gun at anybody unless you really mean it. You're prepared to blow their freaking head off. Yeah, you're pointing you a loaded gun. 
Yeah, you don't call the cops on somebody unless you're prepared to have the cop blow that guy's head off mm -hmm. because there's a significant chance that that's what's going to happen. I don't know how significant in any particular circumstance, but we see it every day. If if uh, I recommend people subscribe to the Free Thought Project newsletter, Love you'll get an email from Matt Agarist every night about a cop killed somebody every single day. And, um, you know, a, a lot of times it's a wellness check. My grandpa's not answering his phone. Can you go and check on him? And then they go and blow the guy away. Yep. Um, people, you know, my next door neighbor's stereo is too loud. That was a and case in Phoenix. show up and kill him. That was a case in Phoenix. Yeah. So, um, so no. Would you call the Gestapo over somebody being a, a homeless bum? I think there's a real disconnect between, it's just like, uh, it's always the right thing to join the army, even if Barack Obama is the president right now and he's starting six aggressive wars and, and, and everybody knows it's wrong. It's still the right thing to join the army because your grandpa did it and your cousin did it and the TV commercials make it look glamorous and this is how a boy becomes a man and you get the GI Bill and it doesn't matter what the foreign policy is. It doesn't matter who the president is. It's like an entirely separate discussion. You know, um, we do this with police too. On one hand... They're rabid animals, all, you know, steroided up in the brain, told beforehand that there's no accountability for any crimes that they commit against us, civil or criminal. Us versus them. That's what they taught us. That, that's right. That, that, you know, the people are the enemy and you are soldiers at war against your own society. Yeah. Um, that's how cops are trained. Cops are trained to look, if someone's hand, look, everybody knows that in, you know, especially black, but not exclusively black urban culture, sagging pants is a thing. But that just means that any time that somebody runs from the cops and they reach to pull up their pants, the cops can kill them. Yep. And say they were reaching for their waistband, even when there's no reason whatsoever to believe that there's a gun there. Man, there was one, this white kid, kind of pudgy white kid, jumps the chain link fence and is running away. And he reaches just to pull up his pants and the cop puts two in his back and the other cop goes, good shot. Jeez. Is, oh my it God. It wasn't arm. He's just running away from some shoplifting thing or some little thing. This happens constantly. And then, so there's this disconnect though, that on one hand, we know that these cops are lawless, rabid animals sent to enforce a totalitarian state. And yet, when there's a problem, all of a sudden, no, it's going to be Andy Griffith and Don Knotts who are going to show up. And Andy Griffith is the most responsible man in town. And that's why we made him the sheriff. And he's going to come and he's going to make sure that everything is A-OK. -okay. But that's just not right. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, people need to get over that disconnect. You know, there was the one where um, in Los Angeles, where it was the, the L.A. Sheriff's Department showed up. I think someone had called the cops on the security guard at a car dealership and the cops were so aggressive the way they you know uh started on him that he took off running yeah rather than just hands up because i guess they were so aggressive that he was like oh shit and just got out of there took off running and they blew him away he was the security guard i didn't hear about this story you know there's yeah there's there's actually a few of this just in the last couple of years there's one where the the um the guy was uh going to shoot up a bar and the security guard kicked his ass and disarmed him and had him held on the ground. The cop shows up, blows the guard away.
on doesn't even think for one moment before he yep. pulls the trigger. The bad guy, guy's guy already who shot down. Johnny Hurley never gave him a chance. Got, never called right. out. Never to gave him. him a chance. That's exactly right. And we know now that apparently Johnny Hurley. Johnny was carrying yeah, the it rifle. Is, it is clear he did pick up the rifle. Bad timing. And yeah. he only we know he only picked it up to clear it. He didn't pick it up to kill a cop with it. He was the hero who killed the cop killer. Yeah. He picked that gun up just to clear it. And as you say, the cop saw him, bam. Didn't say drop it, didn't say freeze, took his shot, killed the hero. Yep. So that's who, and think about it, right? Like you go to the park and there's a bunch of bums. And you go, man, it's not supposed to be like this. And you call the cops. So what if they do come and kill somebody? You know? Well, yeah. It's, it's I, and, not and Don Knotts and Andy Griffith going to show up. It's going to be, you know, some guys who are probably trained by the Israeli Shin Bet to treat us all like Palestinians. Yeah. And I see these stupid fucking knee-jerk reactions like, okay, well, when your house is on fire, don't call a firefighter. When, when your grandma's having a heart attack, don't call an EMT. You know what? I've never seen a fucking firefighter shoot a, shoot a fucking dude in a, in a wheelchair. I've never seen an EMT paramedic fucking blow someone away in their own or in their own apartment because they got the wrong address and look i told you before i called the cops when i walked in on an armed robbery but that's not the same as a bum in a park yeah why do you got it why do they have to switch from oh well then don't ever call the cops when there's an extremely violent felony going on and you're outnumbered and there are no other security forces available come on that's not the same thing at all the question is, should we call the cops on people when they are not presenting an immediate threat? That was the question in the first place. Then they want to change the subject to your house is on fire, your grandma's heart is failing, uh, you're in the middle of an armed robbery. Look, and not in my own defense, because it's just, it is what it is. Who was I supposed to call in that circumstance? My own friends to help me hunt down the guy in the gray Beretta, and then what are we going to do to him? break the law, commit a homicide, beat him down, and then now we're the ones who got to go to prison because someone yeah. else calls the cops on us? Yeah. Right? But but the question was, what do you do if there's a bunch of bums in your park? Right? I don't know. Maybe keep walking. You yeah. know? Maybe, you know. Uh, uh, the, the bums should be encouraged to stay on the non-playground side of the park. I don't know. Of course. There's got to be a way to handle it other than calling the Gestapo, though. Yeah, it should be the last resort, honestly. I mean, yeah, or absolutely. I mean, no resort, no. I mean, I wouldn't consider it. I mean, fuck. But um, you know, any is there is there anything else you'd like to add to that conversation? Uh, no, nah, not really. I mean, I think um, I think that about says it. I I used to complain. I quit Facebook years ago now, but I used to complain on Facebook a lot about the cops killing people. Yeah, and um, I had a friend of mine. I saw in there said, you know, I almost called the cops on my neighbor for a stereo the other night. And I thought about all those posts that Scott Horton's always posting about the cops killing people. And I thought, you know what, man, I'm going to not. Yeah. I think I can deal with the music for the night, you know? Yeah. Or and not. That's what I want to is people just reluctant to, to pull that trigger when they're, you know, yeah. the guy that you mentioned, Tamir Rice, the guy that called the cops on Tamir Rice, he goes, there's a little kid waving around a gun at the park. I'm pretty sure it's just a toy, though. It's probably not a big deal. So the dispatcher goes, okay, well, thanks for the call. She didn't tell the cop that she dispatched, that the caller says he thinks it's just a toy. She didn't say that. Yeah. So there was a disconnect there on the, with the telephone game. 
But if he thought it was just a toy, then why did he call 911 at all? He called the Nazi Gestapo stormtroopers of death on a 12-year-old little child who he already presumed was, was unarmed, not a friend. Yeah. but with a replica. So why'd you do it then? You know, same thing with the guy in Walmart who was buying a BB gun that he got. He's in the sporting goods department. He picks it up from the shelf and it's like, oh, this is kind of all right. A guy calls the cops on him. There's a black guy with a rifle in the Walmart. The cops run up and just blow him away. He's on the phone with his girlfriend. He's got a BB gun that he was going to buy from Walmart where they sell BB guns. He's in the BB gun aisle. And they come and they kill him to death. Because some guy said, oh, no, well, when I, I know that the cops murder people three times every single day. But I also know that when I call them, only reasonable gentlemen will respond. Right. Only, no, only professionals. Get over that. Up. Get over that. That's not right. When you call 911, you are calling the Nazi Gestapo steroid stormtroopers of death who and can't they might wait you. For the chance, the when they, they can kill, the guy kill somebody, and you hear them say it too, they'll say uh, when they can, not when they have to, when they can take yeah. somebody's life. In fact, after Mike Brown was killed, one of the cops in Ferguson wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post where he said, I know two guys on my force. They went into a situation where a guy had a knife, but it was on the table and he's sitting on the bed. And they just point their guns at him and scream at him and scream at him and scream at him until he puts his hand on the knife and then they kill him. Because they want to kill him. They want to create the circumstance where they can take the shot. They're murderers. Yeah, there, They're the there was enemy, that, uh, the that's, that's that one story that uh, I, it might have been you actually who told it. Um, I mean, they, they might be the ones who, who kill you if you call. That one guy... I can't remember where it was, but he called oh, yeah, the he's police. He's on the phone. And he's they said on he... the phone with the dispatcher. And the cop gets out of the car and goes, oh, my God, he's holding a gun to his own head. Drop it, drop it. Pow, 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 and kills him. He's well, we on the phone kill with 911. That's just, it's so, it's so ludicrous that if you don't laugh, you'll cry. I mean, honestly. But um, yeah, it ain't right. It's no. absolutely not right. And people need to absolutely stop giving the government the benefit of the doubt yeah. on everything. And that includes especially the cops. Well. Scott, I will thank one cop for his service, and that's the guy who hassled you when you were 11 because he created a monster. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure happy did. the monster's on our side. Yeah, man. I have been stuck like this ever since, and I'm glad for it too, dude. <laughs> imagine being some Democrat. God. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> just imagine. I couldn't. Um, Scott, anything else you'd like to add before we go? No, man. I better run. But thank, thank you, you so thank much you for so having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Great to this hang out with you. the third fucking time. Holy shit. Uh, Scott Horton, director of the Libertarian Institute, director of antiwar.com, antiwar radio on Sundays in LA. If you live in LA, you should listen. I listen on the podcast. I can't get enough. I listen to it at work. Uh, anything else am I missing? Uh, Fool's Aaron, uh, time yep. to end the war in Afghanistan in the back corner I see there. Uh, and enough, enough already. already. Time yep. to end and the, the war audio on book is almost done, man. I swear Woo! to God, it's going to be out early yeah. next week. All right, cool. Maybe cool. this weekend. Hopefully. All right, man. All you right. take it easy. Thanks, Evil Scott. Appreciate you, buddy. <laughs>